We're in a series called Let's Go. Are we up? Yep. So we're going to go from Celebrate Church to where we're talking about this series. And that is the other side of the globe, kind of. I guess I don't really actually know what halfway. I don't know my globe very well. But way over to another spot. And you could see um, that Antioch was the base for this trip. And they went to the region of Galatia, they went all the way up into Thessalonica, and now these last two weeks, what we've talked about last week, we talked about Athens, and that's what Ali uh, shared, what happened there when Paul went there, and now this week we're going to Corinth. Paul and his companions are going there. They are on the move, and in fact, this week we're going to get to the very end of the whole trip, and... uh, But next week, we're going to be back on because he's on for a a third trip. So let's read where Paul is going. From 1 Corinthians chapter 18, starting with verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads.'" I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would, be reason- it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions uh, about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Susthenes, something like that, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever." Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left... Oh, wait a minute. Is that it? No, I'm still going. Okay, good. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Okay, this is the reading of God's word. And the first thing that I want to point out is Paul is still moving. 
he has decided that he, well, he has decided he has sensed the call from God, so I guess he's decided to follow the call of God, that he is to go to places where no one has heard about Jesus, where there is no community of Jesus followers yet, and he is just on the go. So from, from verse 18, verse 1, at, or chapter 18, verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 18, verse 6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of, of uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. All right, I'm going to skip verse 8. But you can see he's moving, he's moving, he's going. Where is it that God is at work? That's where I want to go. Where is it that there is a need? That is where I want to go. So chapter 18, verse 22, Paul stayed on in Corinth and, sometime, and for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because of a vow he had taken. Then arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus, where he landed in at Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. I mean, in one paragraph, he is going all over the place at a time where it's not that easy to travel. I mean, it's easier than it's been in, in other times back then, but compared to now, the, the, what he has to do to go from place to place, and he is compelled by the love of Christ. He is compelled that people would know who Jesus is. He's compelled that the people who know who Jesus is, who've come to faith in him, would be strengthened. If you remember the very first week, he went around encouraging and strengthening the churches. So he was on the go that people would come to faith in Jesus, and he was on the go that the people who had faith in Jesus would be strengthened and encouraged in the Lord. He is on the go. So let's go. That's the first point. Let's go in the same way. I mean, let's not just go run around and have our heads cut off and constantly be doing things. But let's go with an intention that people need Jesus and we can bring him. We can, we can introduce him. We can share who he is, what he's about. We can bring the goodness that he wants to bring into people's lives. So let's go do it. And that has been a big part of this series, obviously. Today, a little bit of a shift. 18, chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. There he met a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, who had recently come down from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered them all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, were he stayed and worked with him. So this is a guy that's on the go. But I want to pay attention today about how he stayed. Verses 18, 9, and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. Moving on, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And then chapter 18 starts, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. So we're on like week seven, we're about just over crossing the halfway part of this series, week seven of 12, on a series that's Let's Go, which followed... Uh, the series this spring, which was Kingdom Hospitality. One of the things that we're really trying to lean into right now is how Jesus says we don't just go to people that we're most comfortable with. We don't just love the people that it's easiest to love. 
We, we don't just learn from people that we already think, think a lot like us. We, we go. And his followers did the same. They didn't just go. Well, at first, they kind of did just go to people like them. But he said that when he gave them his spirit, when his presence came on, they would go not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They would go. So that's what we have emphasized for good reason. We want to be people who go in the name of Jesus, empowered by his spirit. But there is something to stain as well. There's something to stain as well. And there's particularly something to stain in hard situations. If we go back to verses 9 and 10, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. So when a message comes from heaven, whether it's God himself in a vision or his voice or whether it's through an angel, if, if the message includes do not be afraid, it's because there's good reason to be afraid. It's because the natural human response would be to be afraid. And Paul has already gone through getting beaten, getting run out of town, there's a mob, there's arrested, whipped, flogged. He's gone through all kinds of stuff. He's gone through opposition over and over and over again. So he has reason to be afraid. And God says, you know what, in this season, because he's, he's actually going to keep, later on he's going to get arrested again. There's going to be, you know, bad things happening to him again. But in this season, I'm going to protect you because I have a lot of people in this city. And you're the one who I want, you and your, your companions and the people that turn to Jesus to, to, to reach them. You. You. So stay here. It, it's been hard. Could be hard again, but I am, I am with you, so stay here. Stay in this. And I think that's something I want at this kind of halfway point to point out, is that going is good, but staying in the name of Jesus is also good. And staying in hard situations so that we can invest in people or groups or organizations is a good thing. Now, I read earlier how when, when it became abusive, the word abusive comes, Paul left. We don't condone abuse. We don't stay in situations that are abusive. What's a little bit tricky about that is that word abuse can, can mean so many different things that it all, almost can become meaningless because... Uh, so that, that can be hard. So maybe when things are really hard, is it abuse or not? You want to get outside counsel because a lot of times people who are in very abusive, manipulative, controlling situations are not able to get out of them. So we need help from others to help us get out and stay out. But other times, people who are, are in tough situations, it's not necessarily abuse, but it feels like abuse. And we can label something wrong. So again, we need help. Can someone help us navigate that? So I'm not, all that's to say, I'm not saying the Bible's not saying condone abuse or stay in abuse. But when things are hard, and life is hard, the, the natural human response is like, out. 
where else can I go? What else can I do? Who else can I be with? I don't want to deal with the hard. So I'm going to distract myself, I'm going to numb myself, and I am going to look for other opportunities, other people, other persons, and so we don't... So it's hard to stay in the marriage. It's hard to stay in the workplace. It's hard to stay in this community at this time. It's hard to stay in relationships where people are going through something hard or where people are causing something difficult. It is hard to stay. Now, Paul's particular situation, his staying ended up leading to an incredible impact. And we know more about the impact because 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are letters to this church that we're reading about where he stayed for a year and a half. He didn't, he didn't stay very long in lots of places, but he stayed a long time there. He stayed a long time in Antioch, and that became a mission center that sent. He stayed there. In a couple weeks, I'm going to talk about how he stayed in Ephesus for even longer. And the impact was enormous because he stayed. So it is good to bring Jesus to people on mission trips for a week or two, to, to cooperate with him especially if we have the mentality that we are there to also learn and receive, not just to go do something nice for some people and then pull out. But to have an impact, it is better if there are people there for the long haul. And so that's why in our partnering ministries, we partner with Many Hands for Haiti, or we partner with Pastor Samuel in Uganda and the ministries that he does, because there are people that are there for the long haul. And there's something different about being there for the long haul if we're wanting faith not to just be planted, but to grow up and mature and bear fruit on its own. Then it is good to stay for the long haul. And so I'm wondering this morning if some of us have a situation, have something that is hard to stay in, and that the Lord is wanting to say to us, I can do good through you in this situation. There are times to, to stay and times to go. And may the Lord lead us in that. But if it's hard, I don't, what I want to discourage is just leaving or pulling back or looking for something else just because it's hard. We're, if we're looking on earth for the place where it's not hard, where it just feels good, where we're, where we're just going to be happy all the time, we're going to look the rest of our lives. And maybe think we got it for a minute. And then, nope. Because that's, that's not here. That's, the longing is real. But we're being prepared for something where that longing can be fulfilled. And the sense of purpose that Paul has, there are people to be reached. There's a difference that can be made. Now that can be a motivating force to handle things even when it's hard. I've told our own personal story a few times over the years, and one time not that long ago. I think it's within the last six or nine months. So I apologize for the repetition for those of you who've heard this before, but it seems fitting here about how when we came to celebrate 12 years ago and I got ordained, the day after I got ordained, I went to see a surgeon. And to my surprise, the surgeon says, you need to have back surgery and you need it as soon as possible, and I can get you in this Thursday. And so I had back surgery 
the, the congregation ordained me and then they didn't see me for like five or six weeks because I'm, I'm recovering from, I don't know if it's that long, but I'm recovering from back surgery. So that was a lot to, to take in, but then the back surgery did not, was not successful. So I had permanent nerve damage, can't put on my own socks and shoes, that kind of thing. All the while at this time, we have found a place to rent, but we had not found a place to live. And for a whole year, we looked. We had, you know, one of, the, one of my best friends was here and was the reason we were really excited to come here. Um, we were in each other's weddings. We played basketball together in college. We lived together in college. And he and his family ended up moving away. As did my one son's one good friend he really liked, whose dad happened to be the high school soccer coach, which all my kids like. They moved away. And other people were moving away. And after a year of this, it was like, well... Maybe this isn't where we're supposed to be. You know, we don't have a house. There's nothing keeping us from looking and leaving. So we, uh, Camille and I, contacted a few of our closest friends. And we said, we want, we're going to do a 40-day consecration. We're setting ourselves apart, doing some disciplines over these 40 days. But what, what we're trying to figure out is, are we supposed to be here or not? Because, man, nothing is falling into place that would say, like, God's favor is on us in this. And we had five things that we listed out that we, would, we said, now, if we want God to move in some way, in some way, and in these five things, it would be really clear after 40 days, either it happened or it didn't. Either I could put on my own socks and shoes it had been close to a year at that point. Either I could put on my socks and shoes myself at the end of 40 days, or I couldn't. Either we found a house to live, or we didn't. Either these different things happen at the church. So we pray for 40 days. People are praying for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, when you go through that list of all five things, God, if you want us to stay, could you move in one of these areas as a sign that you want us to stay? Zero of them had happened. And so... We're just left wondering. And a few weeks after that, we find land that we could buy to build a house. Based on where the economy was at at that time, it would have been very stupid for us to build a house if we were going to be moving in the next even two or three years. We just, that would be throwing away money. And so we had a decision to make. What were we going to do? And we decided it felt like at that time something was trying to pull everything good from Knoxville out of Knoxville. They're just trying to pull things out of Knoxville, pull good out of Knoxville. It was at the, it was, Knoxville was not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, with the VA closing and, and Maytag closing, it wasn't on the decline when we moved here, but it was just kind of, seemed like it was at the plateauing. It had been on a decline in terms of people leaving and things like that. And so we decided we were going to put a stake in the ground and build a house. And even if other people were going to leave Knoxville, we were not going to leave. 
And within, I don't know what, I can't remember now, I'm not that sharp, but within a matter of months, all five of those things came to pass. Once we said, we're staying. Because we want to invest in the people here in this community. It's like, then the favor of God came. One last point. Going to chapter 18, verse 10 again. This is what Jesus spoke to Paul in the vision. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So again, reinforcing part of of why Jesus says don't be afraid is because of the purpose he has. Because I want you to reach people. Because I'm putting you in a certain situation at a certain time among certain people because you're the one who I want to use to make a difference. And so, he did that. But the phrase that I most want us to take in this morning, to leave with this morning, is Jesus saying, for I am with you. For I am with you. I think that is what makes all the difference in the world. Because while Paul was protected, and he wasn't thrown in jail this time, and it wasn't so bad, he was later on. But Jesus was still with him later on. You know, when we were doing that, uh, putting out the fleece kind of thing of like, God, would you just move in one of five ways? It wasn't so much that like we needed, we were trying to manipulate God into something, It was more like just, we want to know what you want. We want to know what you want. And so, you know, in Acts, there's visions. There's angels. There's ways that God communicates to people. Actually, we have experienced communication that is supernatural, often for other people, or that helps reinforce what other people are thinking, but like, or for things that don't seem nearly as big as like, where are we going to live? But we're just looking for some supernatural something. We will do it. We will stay here forever if that's where you want us. We will go wherever you want us to go. We just want to know it's what you want. And you would think that after a year leading up to us coming here, which, by the way, we never had one of those, like, we know God wants us in Knoxville at Celebrate Church. We had people praying for us for nine months while I was in seminary and stuff, God, we will go wherever you want us to go. And we looked at churches, or churches looked at us both ways in in California and New Jersey and Wisconsin and Chicago and Ankeny and things, and there were other opportunities there. And so all we're saying, God, what we want, wherever you want us. And in the end, I had to make up my mind, this church or this church. And I heard nothing. And Camille heard nothing. So we just chose Knoxville. And then a year later, it's like, well, maybe, since we never heard anything, maybe this is just like a stopgap for us because we're going to go on somewhere else. And again, like anything, anything. And here's what I've come to believe now. If we had chose the other church, God would be with us. If we had left after a year of being here, God would be with us. If he really wants us to know something and we're open to it and we're seeking him, he will let us know. If he doesn't let us know, then the main thing he wants us to know 
I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you in the hard. I will be with you, especially if you want to make a difference in my name. If you want to let me love the world through you, then I will be with you, I think is what God says. And so this morning, we're going to take communion. Back up one step. Something that really strikes me, or struck me just this morning, as I'm thinking about this, is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The letter he wrote, what he emphasized. Corinthians is, is a crazy book, 1 Corinthians. Because in it, Paul's saying things like, you know, I, I'm not... I don't have the wisdom that the Greeks need from me. I don't have the signs and wonders that the Jews need from me. I don't come with much. I come with weakness. I don't have a lot of, of power or insight. Or, and I don't come with eloquence. I, I come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I, I don't come with much. And he proceeds to write a letter that because of a few random questions where it seems like he's just having a, a, you know, like a train of consciousness thought of like, well, I guess I did baptize him or did I baptize him? It's like written in the letter. People think it's like an off-the-cuff letter, not very well organized. But the reality is, or they think it is a good job of, of writing a letter to the Greeks, to the people that would think like Greeks. But what is also true is the whole letter is written with these sections of how the Jewish people had their scriptures because there's patterns to them. Incredible pattern somehow in, in the midst of him in the letter saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not, if you're I'm not gonna be impressive to, if you're Jewish, and I'm not gonna be impressive if you're Greek. He writes at the highest level of both at the same time in their own styles. And all that's to set up, because we went through the whole book several years ago over eight, eight months, but in chapter one, where he is setting out, like, here's what I really want you to know. Here's what's important for you for the rest of what follows is he writes a pattern and the pattern, you know, this, 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 and it gets to this spot. And then the next thing he says matches the the second last thing and, and they all match going back. And when they write like that in Jewish, this is the main point. This is the main point. So it's the main point of the first section, but it's also the main point of the book. And it is we preach Christ crucified. And he reinforces it in, in the second chapter where he's talking about not speaking in eloquence, but we, we, we know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Why? Because this is a demonstration of how much God wants to be with you. That he would leave heaven and come to earth as a human being that he would live and be with us in that way, and that he would die for us to make a way to always be with us, not just now, but into the life to come. That is a demonstration of how much he wants to be with us. And so when we take communion, that is another way where he says, like, I want you to do this because I want you to know that I will be with you always. Whenever you take this, remember me, remember what I've done, remember the cross, but also I've risen, so remember that I am here with you. I am here with you. And so as we take this this morning, we take it in a manner 
where we can know he has shown he wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. He's shown it. He's shown it. He wants to live life with you by his spirit, God's very presence, the presence of Jesus to be with you. And this is our opportunity to say, and we want to be with you too. We want to be with you too. Because the amazing thing is that God, who is over all, says, I want to be with you. If you don't want to be with me, then I'll just be right here. And would let us just, no, no, we got it. We got life. We got it. It's good. Can I tell you from multiple situations this week, we don't got life. We, are, we will not make it without him. Ain't no way. And thank God, in the situations that I was in for the funeral that we had Tuesday with the Pedans, with another couple with, with, that was in blank I was with yesterday, they all believe that. They believe it. And when they're in their hardest point, they are clinging to it. And I just know Jesus is hugging them right back. And for all of us, he says, I want to be with you. Now, do you want to be with me? Last time we did communion last month, I, I shared a bit of, of the liturgy that we don't use normally, and I think it's fitting again to do that. So it's something where I speak and you respond. I think if we can pull that up, yep. So if you can respond at your part. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you want to be with us. Thank you that you, Jesus, came in a way to show it, that when you ascended into heaven, you, you Holy Spirit, came in a way that we can know it. And so as we take communion, would your very presence be with us, uniting us more and more to you, uniting us to each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen.